Welcome to Farm Focus, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. This week's episode, we talked to Grant Goulbon, Regulatory Affairs Specialist for the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau. We discussed with Grant all the updates that impact Farm Bureau members. What's going on, everybody? David Varner here, back again with another Farm Focus podcast. This week, we have uh, one of my good co-workers, Grant Goulibon, a Regulatory Affairs Specialist, on with us here today. Grant, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, uh, today is kind of, I guess you could say simple, but also a little maybe complicated at the same time. We're going to be doing uh, a big update. So basically, a lot of stuff that Grant's been a part of, Grant's been monitoring that's you know important to the Farm Bureau uh, and to farmers and agriculturalists. Um, so, I mean, I guess a lot of people know what you monitor in Grant, but maybe like a reminder of just the things that maybe you keep tabs of all the time. Sure. I mean, I, I work on regulatory policies, primarily environmental, but at both the state and the federal level, you know, working with DEP, EPA, other agencies that regulate farming or have something to say about how farmers do their business. So I'm out there working with the state agency folks federal agency folks to make sure that our priorities are communicated and that they understand the impact of various policy prescriptions on our farmers, try to push them in a direction where we can provide better environmental benefit while at the same time being economically successful because you can't have environmentally friendly farms without having economically successful ones. And that's our focus here. Keep farmers farming, farm more, farm better. Farming less is not an option. Definitely, I can't agree with you more. And uh, you know, just working with you day to day, I I know just how much you do and you know whatnot. So you know, for some people, see like see or hear about your job title and maybe scoff at it. Uh, I'll tell you this much: he Grant has a packed schedule, um, so he he's got a lot to do. Um, but again, we're we're mostly just doing updates. So I mean, Grant, I guess if you want to just do like a pyramid scheme, maybe something, some of the most important, I mean, it's all important, but you know, maybe the top priorities, uh, and we'll go from there. Certainly. I mean, you know, we're about halfway through the 2023 right now. And of course, one of the big stories of the first half of the year has been the kickoff of the Agricultural Conservation Assistance or ACAP program. Uh, Right now, up and running in all 66 Pennsylvania counties outside Philadelphia. And every county is getting at least $300,000 to do conservation projects. Some counties are going to spend their money in different ways. But basically to be able to do conservation plans, manure management plans, nutrient management plans, odor management plans, all of those things are covered. And then you've got the physical practices that they're putting in. If people are putting in manure storage facilities, you you want to do different different types of cropping, you know, there's money for stream bank fencing, there's money for you know, putting in new facilities, making sure that your barnyard areas are environmentally compliant because that's one of the big things that we have to focus on. So, I mean, it's the kickoff I think has been terrific. I want to commend the State Conservation Commission, Doug Wolfgang, Frank Schneider, Justin Challenger, Eric Cromer, in case any of them are listening. Thank you to all those guys for all the hard work that they've done also with the Conservation District folks. And what we're doing right now is working with members, gathering information about how the program is working and how it's getting off to, what kind of start that it's getting off to, so that as we learn new things about how it's working, we can make adjustments. And also so that we can come back to the state legislature and the governor 
and say, hey, this has been a good program that farmers are taking advantage of. You see results already from plans we have written, from best management practices we've installed, but we need to keep this going because this is gonna be a long-term commitment. Local water quality is important throughout the state of Pennsylvania, and we're some of the people that have the most to do with making sure that our communities have the types of water, air, and soil resources that can grow economies and also you know, attract, draw people to Pennsylvania and then keep them here once they're here. Awesome. Yeah, you answered a lot of the questions I was actually going to ask you. You know, I'll try to help explain to people what the whole program was, but I think you did that quite well. So um, that's fantastic. It sounds like it's going in a, a, an amazing direction. And like you said, I hope it uh, uh, proceeds and can continue to help our farmers here in Pennsylvania. And I, I hope other states as well can benefit from similar programs as well. I will, I'll mention one other thing in that context before we move off ACAP. And again, one of the things going forward that's going to be most important for us, not only getting the dedicated funding in years beyond 2026, because it's a, a four-year appropriation that was initially put forth to establish the program. One of the things that we're gonna to have to do is continue to build the workforce of people that actually write the plans and install the conservation practices. Right now, we're in a situation where you know, we just don't have the people in place right now. And you know, we've made this point in talking with DEP, with state legislators and, and with other folks in the administration that all of this funding is terrific and all of the intention behind it to get good practices in place to improve local water quality is worthy, but people are needed to do that. And right now we don't have enough of them. Mm -hmm. We're looking at any and all ideas for how we can increase that workforce, whether it's you know doing more outreach and recruiting to uh, you know folks, that, you know students that may be in other types of engineering or conservation disciplines that don't have a, an ag background but can transfer those skills. Also working with other groups to again bring this up as a career to uh, to young people who are interested in conservation and interested in making sure that uh, farming has a viable future in Pennsylvania. So that's going to be a major focus for us over the coming weeks, months, and probably years because this is going to be a multi-year effort to make sure we grow and develop that workforce that we need. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it, and I think. Um like you said, or at least you were alluding to, I think this is a great opportunity for a lot of uh, younger people or people who are somewhat in the field to be able to find a new career for themselves to, you know, help better agriculture and something to help break them into agriculture who, who might not have uh, thought of that as a uh, different type of career plan. Because like I'll even tell you myself, I going to college, I never thought I'd do anything with agriculture, you know, messing around with video cameras and whatnot. And of course, here I am. So it's I, yeah, it's much the same without the video camera part, yeah. <laughs> but but much the same. You know, didn't didn't come from an ag background, but came from a policy background mm -hmm. that supports very much what our farmers do every day. You know, protecting their property rights, allowing them the freedom to be able to manage their land and their businesses as they see fit, to grow them, and then to be able to pass them on to the next generations if those generations choose to continue farming. We want them to have that opportunity in Pennsylvania, and I think. Farm Bureau with what we're doing in working with the, the various uh, agencies, other stakeholders that are out there, where we have common interests, we can work together. And I think that we've seen that in some of our most, more recent interactions, and we'll talk about some of those, I'm yeah. sure, as we go forward here. Definitely. Um, and like I, like I said, I, I, I did tell you I was going to give you somewhat of the reins uh, for this podcast since this is your topic, but I will ask, because this was a big topic and this was 
especially when I first started, and it seems to have gone down a bit. HPAI, yeah. and I know we have a whole we can we we've done a whole podcast on it. We can do a whole other podcast on it. Um, you know what? Again, just from me monitoring the news and the inquiries, it seems to have gone um, down a bit. And maybe you can attest to this. Um, and if it has, do you think you've come to any um, any type of ideas of why this has happened and maybe sure. some success stories if you have any? Yeah, I mean, really, over the past, I would say, two months or so, we're here at, you know, near the end of June as we're recording this. But since the middle of April, whenever things were, were really bad last year in Pennsylvania with, with a number of, of uh, positive cases of avian influenza or precursors to that, throughout southeastern Pennsylvania, but you know, literally we've had them all over the state from border to border. Maryland, New Jersey, and Ohio, we've had, we've had interactions that have been from you know, suppliers to live bird markets in New York City. So truly it has driven home how much Pennsylvania's poultry industry really, really is distributed throughout the country and indeed throughout the world. But I think that, I mean, over the past two months there's been a lull in cases I think that you know, greater attention to biosecurity, which we have continued to promote throughout these last you know, 16 or so months of avian influenza really being a, a major concern, not only in Pennsylvania, but across the country. But at the same time, you know, the, the improvements and the lessons that we've learned about biosecurity and the, the outreach that Farm Bureau members have been doing in their communities, reaching out to their neighbors, reaching out to people that have backyard flocks or you know, even non-poultry birds, about the importance of keeping those birds in, about the importance of making sure that whenever people are entering and exiting your property, that they understand the biosecurity requirements of your property, that they're not tracking anything in, or that they're not taking anything out that they can they can spread around. I think that another factor, of course, has been the relatively warmer weather. Summer and, and hotter temperatures always tend to suppress the virus, mm -hmm. and it gives us sort of some breathing space. I mean, certainly not a situation where we can relax, but it gives us some breathing space to prepare for the fall because more than likely once those temperatures drop again, that's the time we need to be most vigilant yeah. and uh, and be ready. And I think that this has given us a chance not only to work with the, the folks you know, at the Department of Ag, um, other other uh, people in the ag, in producers in the ag industry and academia, that everyone has come together, recognized that importance and made it a priority. And that will continue, you know, not just, you know, hopefully beyond whatever this outbreak is yeah. considered to be officially over, but into the future. Pennsylvania's animal health system has been a, a, a great accomplishment, I think, of the state government and of the Department of Ag. The people that are involved, we have our president, Chris Hoffman, and uh, Glenn Stoltzfus, who both sit as commissioners on the uh, state's Animal Health and Diagnostic Commission. We take this very seriously, and we're happy to apply the lessons we've learned and to advocate for additional resources because our state labs have worked, you know, in, in many cases, long hours, seven days a week, testing samples, making sure the producers know that their birds are safe, or if they're not safe, to be able to take you know, whatever action is required. And unfortunately, we've had to destroy a lot of birds, mm -hmm. and that's had an economic impact as well. Some of the lag that uh, has shown up in, in pricing and availability of various poultry project products, especially eggs, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of attention paid to that, and I think we'll see that continue to improve as the supply of birds 
continues to be repopulated, and um, we're going to continue to advocate for resources to do that also. Yeah, that's very good. And, you know, like you said, there, there was a lot of work being put into this whole uh, um, epidemic that was going on. Like I said, this uh, it started a little bit before I started working here, so I kind of got thrown right into the, the thick of it and uh, just seeing not only you, Grant, but everybody else working together to uh, uh, try to combat this was just, uh, quite honestly, it was astonishing just to see all of PA come together to try to really combat this, and it was, it was a great thing. And uh, it, something else, too, that came to my mind when uh, you were speaking about that, um, just the level of uh, biosecurity, not only for HPAI, but for other animals, too. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not coming from an ag background, I had I didn't really have a clue what some of the lengths people go to. And then, uh, well, you know, Will, our other co-worker, you know, he's, <clears throat> he went to uh, Chris Hoffman, our president's farm, and uh, he, he took videos of the inside of his pig house, or uh, houses, um, and he had to get, what was it, showered, suited yep. up, everything mm-hmm. like that to, to help uh, combat some of the uh, diseases and flus that the, the pigs get. You know, I just had no idea you had to go to those lengths, yeah. you know what I mean, just to help protect them. But now being in here, it, it makes sense, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's quite amazing, especially the things that some people on the outside don't know and don't understand. And I think that's one of the great things about Farm Bureau, too, is that, you know, we not only advocate for agriculture and the public policy realm, but we're also out there educating people all the time, whether they're involved in government decision-making or they're just consumers who are concerned about where their food comes from and how it's being produced. And I think that shows the care that our, that our farmers take, especially with their animals, because they're animals of their livelihood. And you know, good care for their animals only benefits them and benefits the people that they serve. And so it, it has been, I think, you know, one, of, one of the things that has been most gratifying about the situation is it really has been a nonpartisan response. I mean, we've gotten great support from the governor's office, Governor Shapiro uh, did an event in Lancaster County back down in uh, in March mm-hmm. when, during you know, some of the height of the most recent epidemic and pledged his administration's complete support to defeating HPAI, which you can't really defeat it, but at the same time, you know, to be yeah. able to, to minimize the risk, be as preventative as we can, have the resources in place to respond if we do get an outbreak again. Yeah, definitely. Like, like I said, and like you said, it will that was definitely the the light and the darkness there just seeing everybody come together and it was a really fantastic thing um now switching gears again i know you brought them up um earlier but dep and epa any updates um in their realm that you deal with them because i I know you deal with them a lot and uh you uh you definitely have updates for us all the time about uh going ons that uh, you have with them and sure. uh, with Farm Bureau. Well, I mean, you know, talk, talking about EPA first of all. I mean, you know, some of some. I mean, our, our interaction with EPA, especially here in our in our region, uh, in Mid Atlantic uh, EPA Region Three. You know, Adam Ortiz, regional administrator, Kelly Shank, his uh, primary ag advisor, have been great to work with in terms of you know coming in, listening to the perspective of the ag supporting our efforts to get more conservation funding, get more practices in the ground to benefit local water quality, and have been very, very complimentary in, in talking about our work. And so, you know, we've been very appreciative of 
the working relationship that we've developed and we expect that that will continue along the way here. Understanding though that at the same time, there are gonna be areas where we're not always gonna be in agreement. Certainly, most recently, the announcement of the settlement of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation and some of the states lower in the watershed, Maryland, Virginia, anybody who's from Maryland and Virginia, but you have a pretty good idea of, of where that's coming from. And you know, a settlement of a suit uh, accusing EPA of not requiring Pennsylvania to develop a, uh, a competent plan to reduce its uh, pollution contribution to the Bay and forcing EPA to take additional action. Um, again, not, not really appreciative of the folks outside Pennsylvania who don't have the same challenges that we do and are situated in a different place than we are in terms of our contact with the Bay about how we're going to work together. And it's taken us admittedly a while to to figure that out. But I think now that we have a working relationship that is positive with a number of different stakeholders, whether it's in government, environmental organizations, nonprofits, other professional associations, that we're probably in a better place than we've been in a long time. And the concern is that attempts like this to try to force progress faster than uh, than maybe you know conditions dictate here mm-hmm. you know can only set things back I, I don't anticipate they will I think that we've got a good understanding within here within Pennsylvania about how we're going to work that won't be affected by that but the the possibility always exists that you're going to have folks who are coming in that may not be like-minded as far as the approach that we need to take to make sure, first of all, our local waterways are clean, and by doing that, that's how we contribute to cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay. As long as we don't have anything to break that momentum, I think we'll, we'll be in good shape. On the DEP side, um, this, this week here, we're speaking here late, late in June, had the opportunity earlier this week to meet with uh, DEP Acting Secretary, probably will be Secretary by the time that folks listen to this, uh, Rich Negrin and his, his leadership team. Secretary Negrin has laid out a very ambitious agenda for the department. He's uh, clearly a very, um, he's a very uh, intelligent, articulate, and committed public servant, someone who has a lot of ideas about how to, in his view, improve the way DEP operates. You know, again, we're, we're not always going to agree on everything there, but we had a very good conversation kind of introducing ourselves, what we do, and how that fits into the context of what DEP wants to do. And I think we have some some mutual interest, again, in standing up more ag conservation, about getting more boots on the ground, and also in regulatory reform generally, and making sure that we get permits and plans turned around and approved faster, and that it's a clearer and more concise process for farmers to follow whenever they have to uh, get a permit or, or write a, or get a plan written, because more and more these permits and plans these are not directly farmer attainable and it's simply because the requirements over time have gradually gotten more and more onerous and is i made a comment in the meeting that oftentimes we hear about regulatory horror stories whenever you've got someone who's just had an absolutely terrible experience in trying to get a decision from government and you know, it just goes running around in circles and nothing ever gets done or nothing happens that's positive. And that oftentimes that horror story 
wasn't just a product of the events of around that date. Mm -hmm. It was an accumulation of years or even decades mm -hmm. of regulatory requirements that became sort of a slow motion disaster. And so as we're looking at the regulatory process, I believe that you know, certainly we can improve the speed with which you know, permits are approved. I think there are a number of things that the Secretary and also Governor Shapiro in his uh, regulatory reform comments have said that we can get on board with. I think that one of the more important things to do is to realize that a look at the underlying regulatory system as well is going to be necessary because you can have the greatest permit approval and review process in the world, but if the regulatory system underneath it isn't workable for the people who have to deal with it, whether you're in government or you're in the private sector, it's not going to be nearly as effective as it could be. So we hope to have those conversations. I'm, I'm certain, certain that I will as, as I'm talking with folks along the way. And again, it's all about what's best for Pennsylvania, what helps us be more economically competitive, and the more economically competitive we are, the more we're able to invest in environmental protection and quality. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, definitely going forward, <clears throat> I hope not only for uh, your sake, Grant, but for the Farm Bureau's sake, that we continue to have these great conversations and, you know, not uh, not be at odds, you know. Um, I, and I, I'm not saying that we are or anything like that, but um, I will say, and this is something I actually want to also touch on, but uh, me being on the uh, wildlife Wildlife and Fisheries Committee, a lot of times, you know, we had people saying, you know, the Game Commission and the Farm Bureau are at odds all the time, yada, yada, all this and that. But I actually had, a, I sat down with the, you know, executive director, I think that was his title, I believe so, um, at the Game Commission. He told me and uh, Andy Bader, he was like, we, we don't have a single problem with Farm Bureau, you know, we want to work together and this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, I, I, I hope and I feel the same thing with the DEP and the EPA, I think you know, it's something that we can both benefit from, even though at times, like you said, we have different views on things, but uh, at times like that, I think we all need to just do our jobs and set set those different views aside and, and work together on the things that we know we're going to work together on. I always I always like to say that, you know, we're, we're really the Farm Bureau party here. I mean, we're about what's best for Pennsylvania farmers and Farm Bureau. And so we're willing to work with anyone who's willing to form relationships based on mutual interests, shared goals, and mutual respect. Mm -hmm. And as long as we have those things, we can differ on certain issues, understand that on some issues we're just not going to be able to, to come to a mutual uh, understanding that is similar, but that there are a number of areas where we can get some good things done and we're going to focus on those. Yeah, definitely. It, you know, it's, like you said earlier, like farming's to me, the number one important thing, not only here in Pennsylvania, but across, quite honestly, across the world, you know, without agriculture, we can't eat, uh, be clothed, have our fuel, fiber, all that good stuff, um, you know, so without it, uh, I'm not sure what else we got, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you actually touched on this a little bit, um, like when I go out to events and I talk to um, sometimes I talk to people who are non-members and I, you know, try to explain to them who the Farm Bureau is and stuff. And my first question a lot of times, and a lot of other people have this question, they go, well, are you a part of agriculture? And, um, you know, if somebody owns a farm or something, they're like, well, yeah, I own a farm or, oh, I own a plot of land, something like that. Um, 
but sometimes, you know, people who uh, used to be like me, they're like, no, I'm not a part of agriculture. I don't own a farm or anything like that. I live in the city or something like that. I don't know. Um, they say that, and I go, well, do you eat food? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, you're a part of agriculture then one way or the other, whether you're, you know, a meat eater, an omnivore, or a vegetarian or whatever. And some facet you know you're a part of agriculture and you're part of the whole cycle so um you know it's 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 great to see us all come together under that one roof and work together you know and i, and I think too that that's another benefit of, of farm bureau and of agriculture in general is it you know not only the the sustenance and the, the clothing and the fuel that it provides but the opportunity for community mm-hmm. and to build the kinds of relationships that you want to build i mean it, we're open to everyone. I mean, as you said, mm-hmm. we all have at least some common commonality mm-hmm. in terms of needing the the products that are produced either directly by farming or you know somewhere down the down the line, you know, four or five steps away from mm-hmm. the farm, that you know products are still there. And so, you know, making that connection, you know, bringing people in in commonalities that that we all share. I think we're much, much stronger whenever we have those kinds of uh, sort of the the voluntary and I'm not even sure, not even sure how to say it, but it's just, it's something that, you know, brings people together that's more, there are natural connections that agriculture reinforces. It brings us back to some of the things that we all have in common that maybe we lose sight of a little bit in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I think community was the the best way for you to describe that grant. And, um, you know, again, going out to events, one of my favorite things uh, was people coming up to me and being like, hey, you know, I just started my family, and, you know, one of our dreams is to start up a small farm. Um, Now, again, it's nothing big that they want to provide for their town or provide for a a big-time store. It's just something that they want to do to provide for their family. And it that's just something incredible to, to hear and see. And it's even incredible to hear the people who are completely outside of agriculture and, and are primarily consumers. And like, I, they're like, I love uh, my local farmers. I love going to the local farmer market and all this, that, and the other thing. Just seeing those people engaged in that community is, is, is quite frankly fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the more people that we bring to agriculture and educate them about what modern agriculture looks like, mm-hmm. the technological know-how that's required now, the precision with which things are measured and how animals are cared for, how nutrients are, pl- are applied. You know, we're, we're part of what's called the 4R Alliance. It's about applying nutrients, and I know I'll screw this up if I try to do the 4Rs right now, so I apologize <laughs> in advance. But it's about getting the right nutrient in the right place, at the right time, at the right rate. I know I screwed it up, so anybody from 4R who's listening, I'm sorry. But the idea is about, you know, again, a more precision approach to nutrient application to make sure that the nutrients stay in the soil, don't run off. Mm-hmm. We have, I've heard several different times, and I need to find the source of it, the you know, Pennsylvania has more young farmers than any state in the country. Wow. And But I would say that it's not even a young farmer issue. It's mm-hmm. all farmers in you know, front of my acquaintance always looking for ways that they can farm better and do it in a way that is, you know, to, to use the term sustainable, mm-hmm. but, you know, do it in a way that, again, you know, builds for the long term that because that land and the air and water is their legacy. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's something great to look forward to. Now, just to sort of uh, wind down or wrap it up, Grant, is there any you know, big events, meetings, um, things you're looking forward to in the near future that uh, 
you're looking forward to, our members should be looking forward to, or just the you know general public? Well, there's some of the things that, that um, one of the things that our uh, membership had voted on at last year's annual meeting in policy, and something that we've seen around the state, looking at local projects around the state that have a potential to impact agriculture. A lot of times these are transportation projects, but sometimes, you know, such as the, uh, the State College Area Connector up in Center County, know that there are other areas where farmland has been threatened by uh, regulatory taking for other highway projects, but also issues such as uh, what we've seen in recent months up in Northwestern Pennsylvania with the proposal to create a French Creek National Wildlife Refuge. This would affect a significant amount of, of working farmland and have a huge impact on that community. And again, it's a great example of Farm Bureau in action. Local county Farm Bureau's leaders, members immediately sprang into action, educating the public about the proposals, getting meetings with their local elected officials, holding events to provide more information to the community about what's already being done with local conservation through you know, local nonprofits, other groups that are already doing the same work and urging the federal government to, if they believe that they need to have a role in, in this type of project, do it in a way that enhances existing efforts rather than displacing them. Because we've already got, in so many places, good you know, locally led conservation that is working for those communities. And the goal should be to support and enhance those rather than have something come in from the outside. So we would certainly encourage our members around the state to be on the lookout for, for projects like that. Mm -hmm. Also too, you know, at the same time, be educators and voices about what agriculture does to integrate into communities. There's a lot of talk about environmental justice now and you know, what kinds of communities are environmental justice communities. Well, farmers are already, I mean, it's not, it's not as if you can just come in and start a farm tomorrow. There's an mm -hmm. extensive process that we already go through with public notification, making sure that you know the views of the community are heard and listened to in the process. So we're in a situation here where you know our policy is very strong and we want agriculture to be exempt from any environmental justice policies. We believe in being good neighbors to our communities because we live there too. Mm -hmm. We breathe the same air, drink the same water, it benefits us not at all to uh, to be a bad neighbor to, to folks. And so one of the things that we're doing is making sure that people around the state know that farmers are good neighbors and the process that we have to go through that's already in place to ensure that those communities are protected from any negative effects. And also at the same time, remind them about the, uh, the laws and the regulations already in place to protect farmers and make sure that farmers are not unduly harassed mm -hmm. for uh, just normal farming operations. Well, Grant, do you have any uh, last minute thoughts you wish to share or you think that about wraps it up? I, I would say again, thank you, David, for, for the opportunity. I mean, there's, there's a lot more that we can talk about, but I'm sure we'll talk about it in the second half of the year here. So Absolutely. thanks for the opportunity and I thank everyone for listening. Yeah, no problem. I, I thank you for coming on and like Grant said, um, you know, I'm sure we'll in the future. Um, also, if you want to keep updated on the regular, we also do PFB Action News. That's on our Facebook and Instagram where uh, Grant, along with uh, Lily and Bailey, who are regulatory or regular um, guests on that show, uh, give you the updates for the week. And Grant always fills us in with what he has going on that past whole week. 
Um, so again, if you want more up-to-date, uh, more consistent updates, check us out there. Um, other than that, uh, thank you all for tuning in, and thank you, Grant, for coming on today. Thanks again, David. Thanks for all you do, too. Appreciate we really you. appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Farm Focus, please subscribe. More episodes are on the way, and all of our past episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on Podbean at pfbcast.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.